So when I was a kid, I wanted to be a tennis player and to win Wimbledon. Uh, now I'm an adult. I'm an author who writes about winning Wimbledon, or at any rate, one person who has won Wimbledon seven times. Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. My guest today is William Skidelsky. William has been literary editor of The Observer and The New Statesman, as well as deputy editor of Prospect Magazine. He is now a freelance writer and regularly contributes to The Guardian, Prospect, The FT, and other publications. He's a tennis fanatic and plays as much as he can, as well as taking every opportunity to watch his favorite player. He is the author of Federer and Me, a story of tennis, obsession, and Roger Federer for tennis fans and the general reader alike. He lives in Kent with his wife and three children. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, William. Thank you, Ben. Very nice to be here. Thank you for coming on. It's, it's a real honor. And I would love to start with what about the subject of your book, Roger Federer, um, what about him do you find transcends tennis and goes beyond in a way that engages regular everyday people in such a fanatic, enthusiastic way, including yourself? I think it's to do with a few things. I think it's to do with, uh, you know, preeminently with the way he plays tennis. He makes it look, his game is more elegant, more effortless, more skillful than really any, I would say, any other, you know, player of the last 20, 30 years, and possibly in history. And I think that goes with a personality which he's he has a kind of, I don't know, calmness, suaveness. He's very personable. He's, you know, he speaks six languages. He seems, you know, many ways seems very cultured, which again is a sort of makes him stand out from perhaps what's normal and expected of top athletes. Amazing. And as effortless as Roger makes it appear to be when he plays tennis, I feel like you made it as effortless to read about him in your book. I read this Thank book. You. Yeah, I read this book while I was on vacation by the beach one weekend. And I think that is actually an ideal, ideal setting to enjoy your book because it's, it's such an effortless, enjoyable read. And I was just in a very relaxed state reading about one of my favorite players. And it was awesome. So I commend you on right. creating you. such a such a flowing, effortless narrative. And well, I mean, to, to have my uh, pro style even compared in a very small way to uh, Roger <laughs> Federer's uh, game is, uh, is a you know, high accolade. So thank you for that. And I mean, one, one of the things I really like about your prose, to your point, is you weave your own narrative, you weave Roger's narrative, and then you also bring us a history of the sport in a kind of mm. cool, almost sneaky way that I didn't anticipate. So while I'm mm. reading about Roger Federer and how your lives, your lives kind of intertwine. I'm also learning about wooden rackets and the evolution to the current technology. Could you talk a little bit about how you, you mentally kind of mapped that out and then weaved it all together in your narrative? Mm, well, um, I mean, I think a couple of factors played into that. Uh, One is that um, I needed, I needed narratives for this book because, you know, it, it was, it was, you know, it's quite a, in a way, it's quite a static subject sort of, you know, liking, loving a tennis player, being obsessed, you know, so, you know, I wanted to create kind of narratives about 
me engaging with him as a fan during parts of his career, but that wasn't enough to, you know, make a whole book really. So I, I needed a sort of, a sort of a, another narrative in the background. And, and I, I sort of really alighted on, lighted on that sort of broader one, which you've talked about or more long-term one to do with tennis history. But it seemed, I mean, it wasn't just that I was sort of, you know, clutching at narratives. It also seemed to me to be the key. And as I wrote the book, the more I thought about this, the more it seemed key. It's, it seemed key to understanding what it was, what it is about Federer, which is so compelling and so interesting. And to me, the kind of the real nub of the matter is to do with where he stands in relation to tennis history and how how the game seemed to be going in one direction in the late 90s, but partly because of technology and, you know, modern athleticism and so forth, uh, towards a very kind of powerful baseline, very topspun game away from the kind of classical roots of tennis. And then, you know, rather like sort of some, like, like a sort of black swan, something that you couldn't really anticipate, uh, Federer came along and sort of tilted it back, you know, in, a, in another direction, showed that another way to play that was very aesthetic and connected to the game's history was, you know, not only possible, but it was actually, you could actually, um, you know, be, you know, arguably the greatest player ever playing in that way. And that, and to me and, and to countless other people, that was a source of amazement and wonderment because, you know, because actually, you know, the game that I, and this is why also where my own childhood came in, the game that I loved as a child, sort of 80s, even watching older films, 70s, you know, it seemed like, modern tennis kind of was was very disconnected from that it seemed to be going in another direction entirely and Federer and my argument was really about how Federer sort of you know revived it or revived a sort of or brought it back into sort of into the sort of you know into the game's past in some way into the present which, I don't know which then seemed a kind of very I don't know powerful metaphor for all sorts of things to do with me as well so you know that's that's how I that's how I attempted to bring the two things together from what I'm hearing it sounds like you started with the idea a very simple, straightforward idea of your obsession with this athlete who mm. transcends mm. his sport. And then you built it out and you saw, okay, what does this athlete mean in the context of the history of the game? And then you, you thought about scenes and then places where you could interject the history of the sport throughout those scenes. When you, yes. were, when you were writing this, it almost sounds like the process I know of screenwriters well, that where, where they might start with like a log line and then they build out and they have an outline and then they'll put note cards up for their scenes. How did it look like physically for you? If one were to have shadowed you as you were writing this book, what, what kind of mess or, or beautiful mess would we have witnessed? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, this, I'd like to say that it was all sort of meticulously planned out with some note cards and sort of, you know, a room full of very, you know, intricate structure um, it, it wasn't really I, I i wrote it sort of you know i'd never I, it was my first book i hadn't i hadn't written a book before i I'd sort of did it i embarked on it yeah i mean with that with that initial idea that you talked about and then i sort of as i went on i i, I it was a rather blind process to be honest um i i just sort of felt my way into it the key was really when i felt i could sort of go back into the game's past and really sort of i didn't have to sort of keep to the present to my obsession with Federer all the time. I, I realized that, that that could make a an article. It could it could be a sort of source of you know quite a lot of the book's energy, but it, it couldn't be the whole book. I needed to broaden out, and, and so and you know so I and so I did it in other ways. Uh, you know, there's a history, but then there was sort of you know explorations of of the sort of concept of beauty in sport, and quite a lot about Nadal as well. Yeah. Um, and in and in, and in a way, I, I found 
through those, in a way, you could say a series of essays, you know, around the subject of federal. I found, you know, what I hope and ended up feeling was, was a way to sort of make the subject cohere. But it was a, you know, it, it, it is a, it's one of those books, I guess, which is quite diffuse and, you know, has, goes off in lots of directions, uh, has a certain kind of, you know, you could say, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't stick to its theme. But I, you know, I like books like that. I like, I like books that have that sort of um, slightly sort of discursive, you know, even rambling quality, you know, and it's, you know, and if they're, if they're well written, and if the subject is, you know, interesting, then, then, you know, it doesn't matter too much. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I it's very kind of, it's very complimentary in a way to, for you to say, Oh, it's, it had that sort of structure of a, of a film script or so forth. And, and I'm pleased that, that it, it came across like that. But writing it, I think, felt, you know, it didn't quite always feel like that. But then it just came together at the last moment, you know, in an interesting way. It's almost reminiscent of a tennis match, right? Where you can have all kinds of odd points and a weird shrieks throughout a match. But ultimately, there is a narrative that can be told at the end of a match. Yeah, and maybe when you only get to the end of it, you can sort of see that. See right. that um, exactly. Yeah, a long five-set match with lots of maybe a few rain, <laughs> few rain delays, and like rather like the two thousand and eight final, in, in fact. Um, right, right. Which obviously, which obviously, which obviously formed a part of part of the book as well. Yeah. So speaking of that two thousand and eight final, I'm curious: at what point in your journey of fandom did you set out on writing this book? Because you know, it makes me think of people who set out to do documentaries. Sometimes somebody sets out at the beginning and they don't know, you know, what is going to unfold versus somebody who maybe is doing a documentary about the Titanic where we know exactly how it ends and it's just a matter of finding, finding your entry point. So at what point in your journey did you decide, okay, I'm going to write a book about this because I imagine some of the stuff, right, when you talk about your childhood, you're looking back, but there's a lot of stuff that was also unfolding in the present. Where were you on that timeline throughout your writing process? Well, I, I guess I sort of first had the idea of it as a book, probably around 2011, maybe. Um, I mean, it came out in 2015, so a while ago now. Um, you know, I was, like many journalists, I wanted to write a book, and I was thinking of various subjects. And, and it wasn't actually me who had the idea, it was my agent. You know, we would, I think I was talking to him about a book about food as a possibility. <laughs> and, then he, and, then, and then I just kind of got talking about Fed already, and he said, wow, you're so you're so passionate what that's your book surely and so he kind of put the idea in my head and then a few years a couple of years where I was just kind of toying around with the idea in my head and the more I thought about it the more I liked the idea and so yeah so I I, I came to it sort of I'd been a fan a passionate fan of his for sort of four or five years when I when I started when I started writing the book it uh, and then yes it, it, you know it took a couple of years I guess I was working on it for to, to write it and or maybe a bit less but a year and a half of sort of good good kind of work on it um, yeah and at that point i mean what what's what's quite interesting in, in terms of the sort of time timeline of it i i started it really kind of thinking federer was you know toast really i mean <laughs> when i i think i because i i i got i got the sort of commission for the book i think in 2013 and that was that was really federer's kind of worst season of his career that thus far and a lot of people were saying I mean, this is eight years ago now, but it, a lot of people at the time were saying, you know, he's had it, he should retire. I mean, people, I remember lots of articles saying it's time for him to pack up, it's no good anymore. And uh, so, you know, and, and and he was sort of in his early 30s and that, according to conventional wisdom, that was kind of, you know, when tennis players were past their peak, really. A lot of, you know, Sampras, McEnroe, all these people, Lendl, you know, they'd retired in their early 30s or even earlier in some cases. So, you know, so I, I, I saw the book as kind of like, you know, this is me, 
in the last days of Federer. And I, and I rather wrote the book in those terms. Um, but obviously, uh, history has proved very different. It, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't at all the last hurrah of Federer. He won, he won three more Grand Slams since then, and he's, you know, and he's still, he's still competing now, and is going to play, play in um, French Open and Wimbledon this year. You know, approaching and even passing 40 um so you know i i had never like no one else i never predicted that and uh but i don't mind i mean i like i like the fact about the book that it's kind of it captures a moment you know a, a view of federer that is that view and lots of people say god the book needs updating you know but <laughs> I, I i don't know i mean yeah i mean i i think the whole sort of image of federer which i tried to catch in that book would, would be very different if I kind of came to the subject again now because, um, you know, the rivalries would be different, the sort of the relationship with Nadal and the sort of and the kind of narrative about Federer's overall career and how successful it was and so forth would be very different now. So, you know, I, I kind of, yeah, I think it would re require a whole new book, basically. I, I appreciated it for that reason, among many other reasons, because it was almost like a snapshot in time and mm. as somebody who's a recent fan of the sport professionally, I've only been following for the past couple of years or so. It was really okay. astounding and kind of funny to hear the narrative that was surrounding Federer, you know, washed Federer basically in 2013. And then fast forward to I, I'm reading this book in 2021 and just yeah, yeah. taking note of everything that uh, has transpired since then and the surprises that he had in store for us. It. I think that that is one of the the many things that makes this book so enjoyable for a reader like myself is having that kind of time capsule, that marker in time and seeing, oh, that's what people were saying in 2013, you know, to 2015. Mm. That was the prevailing mm. wisdom of the time and how yeah. much has changed since then. Abs well, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's the, I mean, that sort of that this kind of. Yeah, this this afterlife of Federer's career, or, or you know, new phase whereby he, well, we, we had it a bit in 2014-15, which again was kind of just after the, because the books of the timeline of the book ends 2014, and then 2015 he came very close to winning a couple of, then he sort of had a bit of a setback again, but then you know, incredibly came back in 2017 and played some of his best ever tennis for six months and won two more Grand Slams. And then again in 2018, won the Australian Open. I mean, all yeah. that sort of, um, yeah, I mean, that changes his kind of... Um, and, the big, and the biggest thing, I suppose, that's changed since the book uh, is that the, the rivalry with Nadal, which was so sort of like, such a sort of, sort, you know, so much kind of sense of, if you were a sort of passionate Federer fan, so much sort of sense of pain was um, kind of, involved in his rival with Nadal and and his kind of failure to win matches the big matches against Nadal which which was what informed my sort of chapter on Nadal in the book where I where I sort of quite I'm quite sort of you know as many people have pointed out quite sort of I really have a go at Nadal in a sort of in a semi-tongue-in-cheek way but it did capture the sort of you know this sort of hatred of this man because because he was because he was the kind of nut that Federer couldn't crack um and um, you know that that's changed now because Federer Federer's beaten Nadal. Uh, I think in sort of five of the last six times they've played. I mean, he's really sort of got over his Nadal curse. Now it's much more Djokovic because um, you know <laughs> his, his 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 terrible defeats of the last of recent years have obviously been um, against Djokovic. The most uh, notable being the 2019 final, which I had the which I was lucky enough to go to. Um, oh, and wow. That was, you know, that was, that, yeah, that was... Uh, what was it like uh, being in the building that day? Oh, well, you know, it just, yeah, I mean, it, it seemed like a, 
it was my it was my birthday as well it was like it was uh so it was a real sort of birthday treat. you know federer wins wimbledon the oldest ever winner it's, his eighth title was it his ninth? I've even forgotten how many titles he's won now. Uh, I mean, yeah, it would have it would have been uh, extraordinary, and that it all just seemed to be going so perfectly. I mean, he played, he played an absolutely brilliant match, and uh, and then set it all up for himself. I mean, it was just, but then I don't know. It was it was an extraordinary, yeah. I mean, it was an extraordinary experience seeing it sort of something, something that seemed. I mean, you know, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't not win it at that point. Just, I mean, that's. It's just never happened before. Someone serving two two match points up uh, on Wimbledon on their serve and not closing it out. But, and there was and also there was this kind of awful sort of feeling that this was happening again because you know the, I think I write about them in the book the the two the two sort of matches he played at the U.S. Open against Djokovic in in consecutive years where he was forty fifteen up uh, one time in the semi final at the U.S. Open one time on his um, on Djokovic's serve but one time on his serve and Djokovic pulled off this amazing return and so there was it was kind of set up for this sort of weird sense of history repeating itself and and as soon as he kind of didn't capture those two match points there was just this terrible feeling of you know it's happened again and it's yeah I mean it was it was it was I think I found I think I I think I got better I mean you know I think I've got better at dealing with Federer's kind of losses I think in the book you know it's it's very kind of I make it very clear how how sort of completely um you know devastating I found these sort of really close big losses against Nadal and so forth. I'm, I'm a little bit, I, I'm better to cope, cope with them now. I mean, maybe it's like you get better as you get older at coping with, you know, romantic heartbreak and sort of, you know, life's knocks. You, you, maybe as a fan as well, you sort of become a little bit more resilient. Maybe I'm just, you know, I'm just a bit more, I'm just a little bit less kind of involved in that sort of very kind of intense way that I was when I wrote the book now. So I'm a little bit more philosophical about it all. I can step back a bit, but yeah, no, I mean, it, but it, it was the, the, those two points. I mean, I, I, the guy I went with, who's a who's a kind of obsessive. He still sort of like, you know, he says, you know, I, I was wait, I was three, I was lying awake at three o'clock in the morning last night and thinking, why why did he not go, you know, to, to why did he not go the other way on the on forty thirty point, or could he have done something different when he approached the net to that, you know, and kind of, you know, it's like, you know, it's still sort of it, it has this kind of quality that it just kind of haunts your, you know that kind of what if you know but yeah i mean um <laughs> as, as somebody as somebody who's become a fan myself only in the past couple of years that was probably the most high profile federer match i've seen and for people who yeah. aren't who aren't privy to the match it was you know went to the mm. very brink in wimbledon which is a grand slam huge tournament and i i actually it was like a five i think it was all all in all about five hours and so yeah, it was a very long, long, yeah. longest ever final. Yeah. And I actually, I watched it over the course of a few days. So I, after the first day I knew the result, but I still wanted mm. to watch how it unfolded. So it was almost like I was watching act one, act two, act three yeah. throughout that week. And it was, it was just so interesting to see the twists and turns, but I guess that's Federer. He's always surprising us in, in new ways. And mm. we couldn't have written, Nobody could have written the Federer script the way it's turned out, but no, certainly, no. certainly, you've made a valiant effort at capturing a moment in time from it. So, to that to that extent, kudos. And the final question I have before we get into rapid fire is: as somebody who wrote something that is pretty deeply personal, and then you put it out there, and then it's left for other people to enjoy, what is that feeling like? As well as how do you, what is your relationship to reviews? with something that is so personal because the British media especially has a reputation for being overwhelming 
to say the least. So how do you, mm. how do you, when you create a work process, what comes after when you release it out to the world? Yeah, uh, I think it's, I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. And, and if it's, and the more personal it is, the more, and, you know, and, and it got, you know, it got, it got um, a, a, mi a mixture of reviews. Some people, you know, some people, it got some very, very strong reviews, but it got some um, not very strong reviews. And unfortunately, some of the stronger reviews were sort of in the most, the kind of places that I would have most liked the kind of good reviews <laughs> um, to my, to my, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it does feel, because it feels like, with a book like that, it was very much sort of, you know, it was very much, you know, Federer and me, it is, you know, and as some people said, it's, you know, it was, it was very much me, um, <laughs> it was Federer through me and, and about me. And so it was, you know, so a kind of negative response to the book, um, you know, if you write a book about something very external to you, you know, a negative, oh, like, you know, they just didn't, right. you know, but it's not like, it's like a criticism of the book, but it's not a criticism of you, but here... It was both, you know, if, if if I got criticism, it was it was a criticism of the book, but it was also it kind of felt like they were basically saying I was a kind of, you know, I was an asshole or whatever. You know? like, <laughs> uh, uh, um, and so, you know, that was that. Yeah. So it was. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's something to be. I think if you do anything that kind of you are, you know, putting yourself into it out there, it changes the kind of the experience of being reviewed being possibly criticized it's it, yeah it's, it's it's a tough it's a tough thing i mean i, I yeah I, I you know i can't pretend that now i've sort of a few years on it's not such a thing but you know i can't pretend that it wasn't to receive some negative uh, commentary i can't pretend that it wasn't upsetting i mean it did you know it hurt. so of course i knew i you know i'm i I was a literary editor for a long time of course i, I knew exactly i wasn't sort of naive about sort of the kind of you know, the way you get books get received and sort of the way criticism works. I mean, I had seen the process from the inside, but it kind of to actually sort of be experience it and to be on this sort of receiving end of something is, is you know, it, it, yeah, it's something you kind of can't really, even if you know kind of in the abstract of what happens, it's, it's something you kind of, it's a, it's a new thing. It's, it's quite, um, it's quite, it's quite, a, you know, so it's, yeah, I mean, it's a learning thing, I guess, you know, it's, it's yeah. good. It's good for one's kind of you know, personality in the long term and so forth, growth in the long term. But um, yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, it is, it is something quite, uh, quite, quite tough sometimes. Yeah. I think ultimately that's what, that's what attracted me to your book though. When I was on Amazon looking at tennis books is mm. a very personal entry point because there are probably, I, I don't know the exact number, but there are probably dozens of books about Roger Federer or about mm. tennis in the abstract. And what attracted me was, oh, this is somebody who, like me, has a passion about this athlete. And mm. the way I think about sports and athletes, I'm here in Los Angeles. I grew up watching Kobe Bryant play for the Lakers. So mm. when I think of, you know, game seven of the 2010 NBA finals, I think of all my friends. We had just graduated from eighth grade. We were at my house in my living room watching this nail biter of a game. Mm. And finally, mm. Kobe could say, you know, he won X amount of championships. He had beaten the Celtics. It was revenge for 2008. And that was, I was imposing my own experiences onto that event. For me, when mm. I look at sports, the, the sports I'm passionate about, the teams and the players I'm passionate about, I'm always projecting my own experience and passions onto it. So that's something I, I really thank you for because you could have just written any book about Federer or you could have chosen mm. to scale mm. back how vulnerable you were, but you... Mm. As far as I could tell, you were very honest and forthcoming. And as a reader, mm. it made the difference for me. Mm. Well, thank you. No, I, I mean, I tried to be. I, I, I sort of, 
yeah, I feel I feel a lot of you know commentary on sport is is kind of um, it doesn't um, it can be quite sort of cliched, I suppose. You know, people say the same sort of use the same sort of tropes. You know, in the way they talk about sport, um, a lot of journalism is like that. I mean, kind of you know inevitably because it has to be done fast and so forth. And you know, and that sort of as you say that more sort of um, personal kind of slightly vulnerable sort of really sort of really really kind of yeah weaving the personal into sport in that way you know you know it's been done it's been done in some sports but over the years uh nick hornby with uh fever pitch and so you know those, those sort of examples you know and, and and other works but um you know it hadn't been done with tennis and i think i didn't think uh, and i think the kind of the literature on tennis is is um there are, you know, there are tennis books written, but that, you know, I think it's 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 quite limited. It's not it's not um, it's not a sport that has um, somehow lent itself to a lot of a lot of different types of books, and you know, and certainly these more, as you say, these more sort of personal explorations. Um, so that's you know that's very much why one of the reasons why I wanted to do it for sure. Yeah, and I might be projecting here, but it it seems like tennis also lends itself perhaps better than most sports to the to the twists and turns of life because there is there is inherent structure within tennis but you could win as Federer did you could win more points in a match and still lose um or you know vice versa so I think I think it was just beautiful to read and on that note I would love to wind down with a few silly little rapid fire questions firstly yeah of course what's an app that you can't live without and let's say an app that didn't come with your phone so not messages or camera Okay, well, I'm going to this sounds slightly um, twee, but uh, I'm going to go for this app that I recently uh, discovered. I, I've I've recently moved to a new house, and gardening is is something that I've never been interested in. But I'm I'm uh, I'm sort of developing a, a midlife taste for gardening. And uh, picture this: I mean, it's it's a well-known app, but it was kind of new to me. I don't know if you know it. You just uh, if you see any plant in the world, you uh, just take a photo of it, and it immediately tells you. Um, what what the plant is and for someone who you know i don't even know the difference between an oak tree and a birch tree or you know so it's kind of quite a it's quite it's now an app that um i'm very grateful to have it's like shazam for plants i love that that's exactly. incredible shazam, <laughs> shazam for plants is exactly what it is yeah if you could wake up tomorrow having gained one skill or ability what would it be for this i'd have to have to say um a, a really good uh kick serve um you know, sticking on the tennis theme, uh, it's kind of the bane of my, well, I have lots of banes of my tennis <laughs> playing as opposed to my tennis fandom, but, um, my game, I've, I've never, I've never mastered a really good kick serve and that would, um, take my game up a level, which, uh, I'd love to be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you like to play you in a movie about your life? So I guess the real question is if, if Federer and me was turned into a film, who would you like to play you? <laughs> well, I was thinking about, yeah. Um, I think, you know, I mean, inherently, my life is probably not that filmic, you know, it's a lot of sitting around and, you know, either either, either watching tennis or, or, or trying to write about it. I think I think the one ac actor who um, could, could make it come alive, I mean, unfortunately, he himself is not alive anymore. But um, so, you know, on many levels, this can't happen. But Philip Seymour Hoffman is, is, a, is an actor who who I admire for his ability to sort of make anyone and anything compelling. So uh, it would have to be him. I don't think I look like him particularly, but um, you know, he's, <laughs> yeah, I think awesome. he's got, he's got, he's got the, um, yeah. And where's a place you haven't been to yet that you hope to visit? Place I haven't 
been to that I would like to visit? I think, and I, if I could say, another passion of mine is food, and I'd love to go to Noma Restaurant in Copenhagen. I've been to a lot of the kind of some of the kind of world's iconic restaurants, but I haven't been there. And I've poured over videos of the their sort of menus on YouTube, and it just looks uh, like sort of crazy stuff. And I'd love to love to be able to go there to eat. I share that passion with you, and we actually on this podcast we have I know, Jeff I know, I love who, uh, who traveled with Chef Rene Redzepi and oh, wrote, right. yeah, right, yeah. and wrote about his experience with Chef Rene when Rene was okay, Rene doing exactly a Mexican outpost. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. Well, I have to listen to that. I've, I, I yeah. haven't listened to that one, but I've, I've, I've seen a, a lot of your podcasts. Uh, oh, thank you. Themes, so I, I guess yeah. that this must be a. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Food is a definitely a passion as well. Yeah. Noma is definitely on my bucket list. I, I'm not sure how I feel about. For example, eating ants or having ants sprinkled on a meal, but <laughs> yeah, I know but we'll I see. Know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> you'd, ha- you'd, ha- you'd have to do it if you were there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, finally, what's a song you like to jam to? We have a Spotify playlist where we add each of our guest song recommendations. So if there's one song you'd like to contribute to our playlist, um, what would it be? Well, um, a song I I I, I think is pretty epic is the the Hammersmith Odeon 1975. Uh, live recording Bruce Springsteen Thunder Road. Um, okay. It's it's pretty it's pretty epic. Um, sort of slow piano belt. Yeah, I we'll like add that. that. We'll add that to the playlist. That's, that's, Excellent. That's the song I like. Amazing. And where can people check you out? Follow you on social media. Anything there is to plug, please plug. Yes. Uh, well, I'm I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm not the um, I'm not the most uh, furious uh, tweeter or Instagram, I'm afraid, but you can you can find me uh, on Instagram and and Twitter. Okay, you know, occasionally, uh, occasionally uh, plugging myself and you know sharing my thoughts with the world. And the book Federer and Me, it's on Amazon. Wherever you get your books, it, De- it is on it is on Amazon. It should be in all good bookstores, I would hope. Great. but definitely on <laughs> definitely definitely on Amazon. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, that's where I got it, and I encourage people to check it out. And for those listening who are curious about the podcast, you can check us out on Instagram at hdydpod. William, this was a real pleasure. Thank you for randomly checking your Instagram DMs and and making this happen. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on. Real of pleasure. Course. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope you found value in today's conversation. If you still haven't left your review for How Do You Do Podcast, I'm going to walk you through the process right now, and it only takes 10 seconds. First, look at your phone screen and click where it says, How Do You Do Podcast, which is in purple. And if you're not seeing this, then you're probably listening to this on a different app. So I want you to click on where it says, Listen on Apple Podcasts, and then you'll see the purple link. Click that. Then you'll just scroll past all the previous episodes to where it says ratings and reviews and all you need to do is tap the star on the far right and you've left a five-star rating. I thank you in advance for taking the 10 seconds to do that and I really truly appreciate you listening to this episode. Thanks for sharing it with your friends and followers and I'll see you back here next week.